wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Happy New Year, folks, and welcome to the premiere episode of Wrestle Rant Radio of the new decade for January 2nd, 2020. I am Graham Giusa Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And yeah, the 2010s are officially over. It's quite crazy, actually. It's going to take me a while to, to get used to saying 2020 here on the show and in my reviews. Like last night, I was writing the review for uh, Dynamite, which as of right now isn't up yet. It probably will be later today, hopefully. It's just been a really busy past week, month, whatever. Um, it, it's it's going to take me a while. I wrote 2019 at the start of it. And I'm like, I had to correct myself. Like, wow, it's 2020 now. Not just the new year, but a whole new decade, which is kind of crazy, like I said. Uh, but we're ringing in the new decade on a high note here, so I do have an all-new logo for the show. Credit to Alexis for that. She designed it about a month or so ago. I've been really excited to debut it for a while now, and I thought I would save it just because I'm a weirdo uh, for the new year. So it should be up now if you're listening to this on iTunes or really any of the other platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Play, anywhere else. The new logo should be accompanying uh, should be accompanying the the, the show. Uh, it, it should be now, as opposed to the old one, which I've had now for about God three three and a half years, even more than the even even longer than the old one, which I had for about two and a half three years. Um, I've had the current one or the last one for about three years. So we started the uh, we we thought of making a new one. Alexis pitched the idea of writing or rather creating a new logo for the show. It's been in the works now for a while. Um, so it's, uh, very, very nice of her to do that, and it should be up now on all the platforms. If it's not, it should be very, very soon, but I love it a lot, and I will be using it going forward for Wrestle Rant Radio. Not sure if we're gonna start a new intro. I've had the same intro now for the show for a long time, for many years. I probably should have a new one by now. A lot of the clips that I include in the intro, uh, with the same song that we've had since the start, Do I Buy Emphatic, which is a great song, but I am one for change, too, so... I'm not sure if we'll change the intro. I've been thinking about that for a while. And if I do, I got to get an all new song, new clips, if there's any clips at all. I do like the, uh, let's get ready to rumble. Like, I love that from Michael Buffer. I love that intro. I would probably keep that. Uh, the song itself and the clips would probably change, but that might not be for some time. Before we go any further, quick uh, disclaimer here. Um, I am a little under the weather recording today's show. I've been sick now from maybe... Not long at all, maybe like the last 24 hours, maybe. Um, it's come and gone over the last couple of days. I was at Raw on Monday, which I will be reviewing here on the show today. Uh, the final Raw, not only of 2019, but of the entire decade. Which is cool because I was at the, la- the, the last Raw of the decade 10 years ago, too. The last Raw of 2009. Um, that was my very first WWE Raw show. I was at a SmackDown taping a month before that, but my very first Raw was in that same building, in that same city of Hartford, Connecticut, the XL Center, 10 years ago. It very well may have been the Hartford Civic Center at that point. Um, that's how far back it was. But um, yeah, and that was a very interesting episode, to say the least. We'll get into that momentarily. Uh, we'll be talking that here today. We're talking probably Dynamite. 
Um, I, w- I was thinking about stuff to talk about here in today's show because originally we were going to have Jamie Lee Mack on the show, one of my favorite guests I love to have on all the time uh, whenever we can do the show. Uh, and what we've done the last couple of years is um, uh, break down our favorite pay-per-view themes of each year. So not only would we be having him on to discuss the top pay-per-view themes of 2019, which I thought were quite great on the whole. I thought WWE did a really good job of um, of selecting proper music for each pay-per-view. Because sometimes some of the songs aren't always great. They don't fit the show well. I thought they had a lot of great pay-per-view themes in 2019. But he pitched the idea a few weeks ago of doing an article, but I said, I took it one step further and said podcast with him and I both, the top pay-per-view themes of the entire decade, which we've never really covered before. We've done, you know, uh, top pay-per-view themes for each year, top pay-per-view themes for WrestleMania, but never an entire decade. And considering we've both been watching wrestling this entire decade and been keeping up on all the pay-per-view themes, um, I thought that'd be a really cool podcast idea. So that will be happening at some point. Jamie, unfortunately, could not make the show today, um, but hopefully we can make that happen before either the end of the month or at some other point down the road. Um, and whenever that time might be, that podcast is going to be a fucking killer. So keep an eye out, or rather, rather an ear out for that. Um, that's going to be a great conversation when it hits the airwaves here on WrestleRant Radio. But like I said, with Jamie unable to make the show here today, I was thinking, okay, what can I talk about instead? So obviously Raw for Monday, which I was not going to discuss originally, but I might as well get into, especially since I was there um, at Raw in Hartford on Monday. And then Dynamite from last night, the first... Uh, live major wrestling show of 2020, uh, which I thought was honestly, on the whole, really, really good. I thought it was a great show, a great episode of Dynamite. Um, You know, all their shows are, not that they're hit or miss, I mean, some are stronger than others. I thought last night's installment of Dynamite was one of their better all-around shows in quite some time. I really, really enjoyed it. So I'll get into that momentarily. Uh, Probably run down the year and review awards from NXT, also on Wednesday, which I did not watch live, but I watched the highlights, the clips, and saw who what you know who won each award. So I'll discuss that momentarily for what that's worth. Um, and speaking of the year in review awards, um, the year end awards as NXT called them, but the year in review awards from WWE and NXT, the main roster and the NXT brands. Uh, RJ and I broke that down last week here on Wrestle Rant Radio, one of my favorite shows in a while. So be sure to go back and check that one out. Um, almost two hours worth of audio with us breaking down the best, the worst, and everything else in between from 2019 from WWE and NXT. Top match of the year, top superstar of the year, male and female, tag team of the year, male and female again. Um, I think I said match of the year, um, feud of the year, most disappointing wrestler of the year, um, and many more categories as voted on by you fine folks on nextairwrestling.net. Uh, so uh, thanks to all who voted in that. Uh, keep an eye out on the website this coming month for a few different things. One, my year in review for 2019 for WWE and NXT, as I do every year on the website. That should be up very soon. I was hoping to get it up before the end of 2019. I just had no time, but that should be up at some point. And also the rules, the official details, the game details for the 2020, the eighth annual Royal Rumble game, where you pick a number in the Royal Rumble match, And originally, years ago, what the original idea behind the game was, was that whoever you choose is your new favorite wrestler for the coming year. We upped the ante a bit a couple years ago by putting a t-shirt on the line. Now, originally, it was just the WrestleRant Radio t-shirt, which of course you should get because it's fucking awesome. Um, But if not a WrestleRant Radio t-shirt, you can also win a a t-shirt for whoever wins the Rumble. 
So, for example, if Keith Lee is my bold prediction, if my bold prediction is to be believed, um, if he wins the Royal Rumble this year for the men, then if you pick Keith Lee, if you pick a number like 23 in the men's Rumble, and he ends up winning, you would win a Keith Lee t-shirt if you so choose. Either that or um, the WrestleRant Radio t-shirt. I would get that out to you as soon as possible. And then... And it, we, we've had winners from all over the country and all over the world, really. Last year, we had one for the women and the men. So uh, I think two years ago when they debuted the idea of doing a women's rumble, I had everyone pick just one number, um, you know, in total, not just for one, not one for each rumble, but rather one in total. So you could not pick in both pools, just one. I thought that was too complicated, so I kind of got rid of that last year. So we're back down to... You know, you, you can choose two if you would like. You don't have to. You can choose just one. You can choose one for the men and women, just one for the women. Um, it's really more a matter of what you want to do. Um, it doesn't have to be on the post on the website itself. It can be on probably just Twitter. Um, that's a lot easier for me because that's what I use. If you don't have Twitter, you can email me. You can find me on Facebook on the website itself. It doesn't really matter. Um, but either way, it should be a lot of fun to do that. And those game details will be available at some point this coming month. And uh, again, if you win the Women's Rumble, say you get Rhea Ripley or Shayna Baszler. If you get number 25 and she comes into 25, she wins the whole thing. Then you win a Shayna Baszler t-shirt. So it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, Last year, we had winners from Canada and England. So those took a while for the t-shirts to get there. But I heard heard from both people, um, Jared and Ross, um, who actually won twice. He won two or three years ago. I think maybe back in 2016, I believe. Um, And then he won again last year. So he's actually the only two-time winner in the game's history, which is astronomical for someone who went twice, but he did. Um, And I think he won a Seth Rollins t-shirt. I think Jared won a Becky Lynch t-shirt, if I'm not mistaken. I think he gave it to his girlfriend. But anyway, um, so yeah, you can enter the 2020 Royal Rumble game. The details will be up at some point on the website nextairwrestling.net. If I can just... Fucking bust my ass and put it up there at some point in the next few weeks. Um, it will be available, and you can enter. And um, that's that. So getting to today's Wrestle Rant Radio. What I also want to do here on today's show, in addition to reviewing Raw and Dynamite and talking about the NXT year-end awards, um, I also want to run down WWE.com's top 25 matches of 2019. Um, I thought they put together... Uh, they always usually put together a pretty good list. I can't even say they put together a good list this year. Because the cool thing about me reviewing it here live on the show is that I have yet to actually read it. I have yet to see what their top 25 matches of the year are. I haven't read any of them. I haven't had the list spoiled for me. So I'm actually going to read it for the first time here on the show today and give my thoughts on it as I go along here. Um, I thought that would be a cool little thing for today's show because I'm not really sure if the Raw and Dynamite reviews would be enough. They probably would be. There's a lot to say about each show. Um, And we'll probably... Eh, start off with it. I mean, why not? That, that'll probably take the most amount of time. And then we'll get to Raw and then Dynamite and hopefully the NXT year and awards at the end. But before we go any further, you can check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday. I know it took me fucking like 10 minutes to get to this here in today's episode. That's how much there is to talk about as we kick off the new decade. But anyway, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio available every single Thursday. Um, as you can see in the all-new logo for the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place, baby. So 
Subscribe to the show today. Rate the show, review the show. All that stuff is greatly appreciated. You can also find me on the social medias on Twitter at WrestleRant on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews and also on YouTube as well at YouTube.com backslash C backslash GrahamGSMMatthews. Um, you can also check out my full written reviews of all the shows I watch and attend and whatnot on NextEraWrestling.net where also full episodes of WrestleRant Radio are available. They're all up there as well. But um, yeah, WrestleRant Radio is up there. All my reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dynamite, NWA Power, which is also a very good show, which I never really talk about here on the show too much. Although John Ritland and I did do an all-new, uh, did a full breakdown of the NWA Into the Fire pay-per-view about a month ago when we previewed the, 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 the show ahead of the event that weekend. Um, Power, Dynamite, WWE shows, Impact, Ring of Honor are all available on nextairwrestling.net. So let's get started here. Without further ado, WWE.com's top 25 matches of 2019. Now, I usually make a list myself for Bleacher Report. I didn't do it last year. I did do it almost every other year aside from the past two years. It just became too much for me. And there's so much wrestling now between Raw, SmackDown, NXT, NXT UK, 205 Live, the pay-per-views, the one-off specials like Halftime Heat. There's so much fucking wrestling. And WWE alone that it's hard to keep track, and it's a lot to put together for one list. So I applaud WWE for doing this every year, um, and I think they usually do a pretty good job, so let's see how it holds up this year. Um, I, I have faith that they'll put together a pretty strong list, but we will soon see. I will give my uh, my thoughts on the list as we go along here and read each paragraph, because you, know, you don't want to just read the fucking selection of the article and not read what they have to say about it for them to justify their explanation for why that match is on the list, ranked where it is. So anyway, WWE.com's top 25 matches of 2019. Here's what they have to say to kick off the article here in the introduction. Here's a little inside baseball secret. Putting this list together is a battle. This year it became a war. How do you possibly account for five brands, all of which were fighting to outdo each other for a full 365 days, sometimes on the same show? You don't. It's that simple. You just collect the gems that you have and hope for the best. Undoubtedly, some slip through our fingers. Um, two Stone Cold 205 Live Classics barely missed the cut. But truth be told, you could collect any 25 matches from this year alone and barely even scratch the surface of what it meant. This was the year WWE went wider, bigger, and higher all the way through the glass ceiling even, and it says a lot about the WWE superstars, that there's almost no list that can possibly put those accomplishments, uh, those accomplishments, excuse me, into perspective. That said, we feel pretty good about this one anyway. So to kick off the list, the number 25 of their top 25 matches of 2019, Roman Reigns and The Undertaker versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre from July's Extreme Rules pay-per-view. Here's what they had to say. The Undertaker admitted to Stone Cold Steve Austin on WWE Network's The Broken Skull Sessions that he wasn't going to let his match with Goldberg at WWE Super Showdown be the WWE Universe's lasting impression of him. He meant it, joining forces with Roman Reigns to kick off WWE Extreme Rules in a thrilling no holds bar match against Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. Undertaker and Reigns clicked from the get-go, fending off an onslaught by Shane O'McIntyre. That's, that's actually really clever. Then included a vintage elbow drop through the announce table by Shane and even a couple of vicious guitar blasts by Elias. Was he involved in the match? 
I don't remember that. Maybe that was on the road to the pay-per-view. I don't remember Elias being involved in the match itself. But anyway, um, ultimately, Shane's coast-to-coast couldn't keep the dead man down, and a tombstone pile driver was the final nail in the coffin for the best in the world, ultimately proving the WWE Universe's chance that night correct. Undertaker still got it. So for this match, I can't really argue with it, being at number 25. It really was a very good match. Easily Taker's best match in, God, probably since Brock and Taker at Hell in the Cell 25, or 2015, uh, four years ago, inside Hell in the Cell itself. I thought they had a great match that night. Um, Some would even argue better than the original. I wouldn't go that far, um, but I thought this was a really good match. Taker definitely made up for the uh, atrocity that is what that was his match with Goldberg from Super Showdown. That match fucking sucked. Um, and I'm not really a big advocate of Taker coming back for really no reason at all. Um, if it's a one-off like this, I don't really mind it. And he held his own. The tag team thing really helped him out a lot. It wasn't a singles match, no pressure, extreme rules, stipulation. Um, this was a very good match to kick off what I thought was a very good show. They had really, really good chemistry that night. Um, Roman and Taker did his partner. So I, I can't really argue with that being the 25th match on this list. And number 24, we have Rey Mysterio versus Cesaro from the May 13th episode of Raw. Um, I think I remember this. I, I remember the match because they've had a few matches since then. And they had one on Raw like a few months ago. Um, this must have been right after Cesaro moved to Raw and Rey Mysterio was, uh, I think, maybe in the midst of a feud with uh, Samoa Joe over the uh, United States Championship. But anyway, here's what they had to say about the match. There might have been a total of 619 reversals in this match. A high-paced battle with every move being countered and every counter being reversed. Like Rey Mysterio setting up for the 619, only to be met with a Cesaro swing. Then Cesaro's Swiss 1-9, uh, that's really clever also, being reversed and a sunset bomb. The ultimate underdog stood tall with a frog splash, but you couldn't deny the magic these superstars displayed or question the reason for displaying it. One challenger wanted the show that he was still one of the greatest superstars alive, while the other aimed to prove that he was one of the most talented competitors to ever step inside a WWE ring. Those two things can be true. Um, This was a really good match. I don't know if I would have put it in the top 25, because again, I don't really remember it. I remember them going out there and having a good match. If I re-watched it, I would probably be quickly reminded why it's on the list, but it's only at number 24, so not a big deal. Um, but yeah, I remember Cesaro and Mysterio having really good chemistry and people saying, oh, wow, Cesaro's great. I mean, we already fucking knew that, obviously. That was already obvious. Um, but yeah, I, I can't argue with that being a number 24. Uh, they had another match, again, that was really, really good about a few months ago. It was well before Mysterio, I think it was before, it was definitely before the Lesnar feud started. It was when he first came back from injury and he was kind of rebuilding momentum again. It was after he beat Grand Metallic and MSG, I think maybe the very next week. Uh, that was a great match also, but uh, yeah, very, very good match here. I would definitely wa- uh, recommend rewatching it, for myself included, because I don't really remember it all too well, but I do remember watching it and thinking they had great chemistry. At number 23, Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley in a last man standing match, also from the uh, Extreme Rules pay-per-view back in July. They said Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley wanted to destroy each other at WWE Extreme Rules. They succeeded. The ring was just for show because the bulk of the action took place everywhere else, from the concourse to a merchandise booth to the international announcer's row. 
Lashley was firmly in control early by repeatedly hitting Strowman with steel steps as the action spilled into the crowd in the concourse, but nothing could keep the monster among men down for the count of 10, not even a spear through a barricade. Uh, Strowman finally proved he was willing to do whatever it took to keep Lashley down by shockingly power slamming the Almighty off a concourse entrance only to inexplicably emerge. Strowman won, but not much was left of either competitor after the bell. Lashley disappeared for months after and returned a completely different person. Unfortunately for the worst, too, with that whole fucking Lana Lashley uh, Rusev storyline, but that's besides the point. I don't know if I would have put this in the top 25. This was a much better than expected match, and they had a nice little feud there in the summer of 2019. I'm not really sure if this belongs on the list, but I do remember it being a good match. Probably Strowman's best match from 2019. Um, this, I was going to think, I was going to say the Rollins match from Clash of Champions, but that was, that wasn't anything overly special. It was just a good match. Um, this was probably better than that. Strowman and Lashley both had very disappointing 2019s, in my opinion, um, just because they could have done a lot more with these guys than they did, but this was a good match though. The only issue is that despite his victory, Braun Strowman went nowhere after this and neither did Bobby. Bobby came back like the, like they said, a completely different person. He came back. Um, but it was, you know, he was injured and, um, he was injured for a while. He came back and they did the whole Lana wedding shit they did on Monday, which I'll get to in a little while later on in the show. And Braun, they just completely wasted his win here because he wasn't even at SummerSlam the following month. Um, he took time off, came back as the number one contender to the universal championship and lost that too. So again, the win didn't really matter for either guy, but I thought this was a good match though. Um, Cedric Alexander versus Drew McIntyre at number 22 here from the August 12th episode of Raw. I do remember this match. This was a very good match. They said, It's a shame that in the three years since a please sign Cedric champ broke out of the Cruiserweight Classic, the WWE Universe hasn't gotten to see all that Cedric Alexander can do. The closest we've come, however, might just be this whip-fast fight. That's a tongue twister. Whip-fast fight against Drew McIntyre that went from the King of the Ring throwaway that went from King of the Ring throwaway to an under-the-radar masterpiece in which both subverted and fulfilled some long-standing expectations. McIntyre is the kind of specimen who probably shouldn't lose a fight even in his dreams, but here he is getting taken to school by this flippy guy who can damn near who damn near beats him. The exhausted thank-you-God look on McIntyre's face when he finally flips Cedric is the little things done to perfection. Um, likewise, Alexander, a highly touted prospect who hasn't quite hit the big time yet, looked as good, if not better, here than he did in the, in the match with Kota Ibushi that put him on the map. Um, yeah, from the Cruiserweight Classic, which was an amazing match. He has to settle for looking very good in defeat, but the wild part is that the audience still hasn't seen the full scope of Alexander's talent. So, a humble proposition. Please give Cedric Alexander more of these matches. Sure, it's not neat enough for a chant, but the sentiment still stands. I completely agree. I think Cedric has barely scratched the surface of what he can do in WWE. And I thought 2019 was a real breakout year for him because he lost the Cruiserweight Championship at the end of 2018. Um, and then he got moved to the main roster right after WrestleMania 35. They didn't do anything with him out of the get-go. He became the 24-7 champion for like two seconds at one point. Who gives a shit? They didn't really give him a chance to really break out until the summer, until this mini feud with McIntyre. And I thought they really brought the best out of each other. They had that great match on the go-home show to SummerSlam, or really, actually, the night after, um, it was the, I, they said August 12th, which was the night after SummerSlam. I don't know if that was a, 
I don't think that was a quarter, like a, a King of the Ring uh, qualifying match because Cedric went a little further in the tournament, and as did McIntyre, he went on to lose to Ricochet. So I'm not even sure if that's the right date. But they did have a great match, though, and um, this was uh, really, really good stuff. I remember this. This was a breakout performance for Cedric that was actually better than any of the matches he had with AJ Styles later on in the year, um, you know, about a month later over the United States Championship, and I thought they would really rip it up. And they, they had a couple good matches, but I thought this was easily the best one they had, um, easily the best match that Cedric had in 2019 was with uh, Drew McIntyre on this episode of Raw from August. And number 29, or rather 21, excuse me, Keith Lee versus Dominic Dijakovic from the September 25th episode of NXT. Great shit here. They said it's hard to imagine, <clears throat> excuse me, it's hard to imagine sports entertainment evolving much beyond Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic's third battle on NXT TV this year. The collision was cutting edge, maybe even futuristic, and most definitely mind blowing. By now, it's understood that Lee and Dijakovic are gifted with the type of speed and agility that's normally reserved for superstars half their size. But even by their high standards, this match was nuts. There were fast-moving exchanges, which recall the most mesmerizing fight scenes of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I don't know what that is. Shoot me, I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. The offense was innovative, the feats of strength incredible, the impacts extreme, and the competitors' fortitude staggering. By the time the six foot seven Dijakovic hit the 340-pound Lee, with an avalanche Canadian destroyer only for Lee to kick out a two, you almost had to throw your hands up in, in astonishment. At the risk of sounding fatalistic, I think is the right word to use there. I, I, think, that, I think that's how you pronounce it, fatalistic. It bears asking, how much further can sports entertainment possibly go? Yeah, this was an awesome match. Lee and Dijakovic, I completely forgot to include that as like a potential feud of the year. I'm not even sure if NXT included that as part of their feud of the year this year. Um, I know it was a bit inconsistent because they had that first match back in like February or March, I think. And then before they could have the sequel, Lee got hurt. And then before they could do the sequel again in the summer, Dijakovic got hurt. So they picked up where they left off in late August, had that amazing match. I want to say on the August 28th episode of NXT before they arrived on the USA Network. And then they had one third and final match. Um, this one right here, the September 25th match from uh, NXT and from that September. They had a fourth match, which was interrupted by Roddy, but um, this was probably the best match they had was on USA, the second episode on uh, of the USA Network era. This I, th I thought it was a great match, and it really showed any new viewers who were tuning in NXT on its new network what these guys were all about and what they were capable of. At number 20, we have Roman Reigns versus Buddy Murphy from the August 13th episode of SmackDown. Uh, they said, who is this guy? That's the question that the normally unflappable Roman Reigns and probably more than a handful of WWE fans asked after a Superman punch by the Big Dog failed to earn a three count against Buddy Murphy in the, latter heads, head, or in the latter's head-turning SmackDown debut. Previously only, or rather previously seen only on NXT and 205 Live, Murphy made his blue brand premiere after becoming entangled in Reigns' efforts to identify his mystery attacker. And although Murphy wasn't at the root of the Big Dog's summertime blues, he made the most of his opportunity to face one of WWE's premier superstars. Uh, Reigns ultimately won the gritty back-and-forth battle, but despite the outcome, Murphy still held his head high. Few things are more exciting than an unexpected star-making performance. Think Jeff Hardy's Make Yourself Famous ladder match against The Undertaker in 2002. And that's exactly what you get with this high-octane thriller. Yeah, this was another really, really good match. I agree with its placement on the list. 
Um, Buddy Murphy, they just did nothing with this guy for the better part of 2019. He had a couple of really, really good matches on 205 Live um, in the first quarter of the year with uh, Akira Tozawa and Tony Nese at WrestleMania, and then I, uh, the 205 Live after WrestleMania, they had some really, really good matches together. Then he got moved to SmackDown almost immediately, and they literally did nothing with the guy. They maybe aired a promo or two advertising his upcoming debut on the show, and he never debuted. He did not debut on SmackDown until, like, July. They did nothing with them until he got, you know, uh, mistakenly, accidentally entangled, as they said, in the Roman Reigns Who Attacked Me saga, uh, which had nothing to do with Buddy Murphy. People thought it would be Buddy. It, it wasn't, obviously. and But uh, people speculating that it was got him involved in this story, at least for a brief bit. And it led to matches with him uh, and Roman and then a match with him and Daniel Bryan, who we actually beat on an episode of SmackDown the very next week. Um, but yeah, this was an awesome star-making performance for Murphy that, again, we already knew he was great from his work on 205 Live and NXT, but for the first time for on a, on a main stage such as SmackDown, we got to see what the guy was really capable of, and he shined. He shined in defeat before beating Brian the very next week. Now, they did nothing with that win. Um, he again disappeared from TV before resurfacing on Raw in October, and the recent Aleister Black matches were also excellent. I think Buddy Murphy had overall a very good 2019, much better than 2018, which was also great, but I thought he was another big breakout star for the year, although they didn't do much with him in the middle of the year of 2019. He did some excellent work on 205 Live in the first quarter of the year, and then he came over to the main roster, had some really good matches on SmackDown with Reigns, Bryan, and Ali even in the first round of the King of the Ring tournament, and then on Raw, he's been uh, ripping it up with Aleister Black and having some great matches over there too. So hopefully that momentum can uh, carry on into 2020 for Buddy Murphy. At number 19, we have the Velveteen Dream versus Matt Riddle for the NXT North American Championship from NXT TakeOver New York. I was there for this one. This was a great match. They said the math is simple. Velveteen Dream is a pre-preter-preternaturally, I've never seen that word before, talented egomaniac. Matt Riddle is a warrior in a... What? Me worry? Dude bro skin. Uh, but somewhere in the middle of this widely entertaining NXT North American title match, the calculus gets changed. As Dream kicks out a move after move, the King of Bros, usually uh, laconic face models in shock and frustration, and knees start flying faster and faster. Suddenly, the champ is the underdog. The challenger holds the momentum, and the whole thing becomes less of a question of whether, Witter, rather, whether Riddle, excuse me, whether Riddle is tough enough to take the title than whether Dream is tough enough to retain it. Dream becomes the gritty hero, and Riddle the wild-eyed maniac. And the former's victory plays a, as a moment of triumph and, dare we say, relief. Things return to normal when the tension passes and Riddle's good game bro handshake is refuted. But until then, it's a wild trip through the uh, through the looking glass. I know I fucked that up completely there. There's a lot of words I just honestly do not know, and I'm, I'm supposed to be a journalist. I've never seen predatorly, pre-naturally, preternaturally. I've never seen that word before, nor have I seen uh, laconic or whatever the fuck that word was. But anyway, overall, I thought this was an amazing match. Um, definitely worthy of being in the top 25 matches of the year. That whole show was the show of the year. I know... Spoiler alert, from the NXT year-end awards, they voted uh, TakeOver War Games as the TakeOver of the year, as the show of the year for NXT, which is false. It wasn't even the second-best show of the year. I thought the TakeOver 25 show was better. I thought TakeOver uh, Cardiff was better, too, from August from NXT UK. Um, but this was an amazing show, an amazing match, and hopefully we get a rematch at some point. I really thought Matt Riddle would walk away with the championship. He did not. 
but I thought they really had an amazing outing over that championship. And Velveteen Dream was an unsung hero for NXT in 2019. He is definitely got to be considered one of the MVPs for that brand last year. Um, he held the North American Championship for the better part of 2019. He had great matches with Johnny Gargano. He won the World's Collide Tournament over Royal Rumble Weekend. He had this amazing match with Matt Riddle. Um, he beat Tyler Breeze to take over 25. Great match as well. Had that great triple threat in Toronto with Roderick Strong and Pete Dunne, which he also won before losing the championship to Strong in an episode of NXT in September. Um, he probably had some matches in between there as well, which I just can't remember right now. But um, overall, though, I thought these guys had a great match and uh, very deserving of being on this list for sure. At number 18, we have the Women's Elimination Chamber match from the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in February. They wrote, a, a 2019 full of twists and turns for Bailey and Sasha Banks can be tracked back to February when they were crowned inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. The women's division predictably over-delivered again when it faced another first, pulling out all the stops in its premier tag team elimination chamber match. From the Riot Squad flying atop a pod to Nia Jax crashing through another, the chaotic encounter eventually gave way to a thrilling closing sprint between the Boston Hug Connection and Fire and Desire, a memorable moment when Bailey and Sasha atop one of the pods winked back at the fateful twist in the previous year's women's elimination chamber match, but this time ended in triumph rather than betrayal, allowing the two most indelibly linked women throughout the women's evolution to once again make history. Um, I don't really remember the match as being all too good. I remember, I mean, it was a good match, but I thought the men's Elimination Chamber match was better. So if that's not on this list, then they're fucking making shit up. Um, it was a good match, but they, they probably need more women's matches here in the list just because, you know, they don't want to close it. They don't want to completely shut them out, but there weren't many amazing women's matches in WWE in 2019, honestly, on the main roster anyway, there were some very good ones. Not a lot of great ones. There's a few other ones that come to mind that we'll probably get to here in the list at some point. But, um, you know, I thought this was good. It's, it's a nice nod, and it made history as the, with the first ever women's tag team champions being crowned. I don't really remember it as being all too amazing. So I probably wouldn't put it at 18 if on the list at all. But it, it was all right, though, from what I recall. Uh, phew, Jesus, number 17, this is... Way too low here on the list, but this was a great match nonetheless. Uh, Walter and Tyler Bate for the WWE United Kingdom Championship from NXT UK TakeOver Cardiff. They wrote, Watching Walter and Tyler Bate's masterpiece at TakeOver Cardiff is like driving up a mountain. It takes time, builds steadily, demands full attention, has plenty of white-knuckle moments, and ends in a spectacular, ends in spectacular fashion. But instead of sprawling vistas, the uh, vistas, vistas, the summer's hottest UK title bout featured a big fight feel and championship stakes fought over by bitter rivals. The action was top shelf. Whether you're talking about Walter's methodical dissection of bait or textbook Tyler's chops, the latter of which would turn anybody but the Australian Austrian anomaly uh, cold. Adding to the drama was the rockling soundtrack provided by the NXT UK fans who filled the Cardiff Motor Point Arena that night in Wales. This epic clocks in at more than 40 minutes. And if that gives you the slightest bit of hesitation to relive the match or watch it for the first time, don't let it. Much like a cruise up the uh, Bergrisian Pass. I've never seen that word before either. Um, it's time well spent. I think the best part about reading this article is that it teaches me new words. Because there's a lot of words here in this article I have never seen or read or written or you know said out loud before. So it's tough. But 
This was an amazing match. I love the fact that it's on the list. I mean, it would have been a travesty if it wasn't. It would have been highway robbery for not for it to not be included. Um, that being said, though, this should be way higher. This was one of the best matches of the year. This is easily top 10, if not top 5. Easily. 17 is just bullshit. Um, it was an amazing match. The 40 minutes may not be for everyone, but I thought they told a great story. They really made you think Tyler Bate would win the championship. And hey, for a brand that people say that you know that other fans don't watch and whatever, that isn't as hot as NXT itself or the other main roster shows, NXT UK has had some pretty damn good matches in 2019. Between this one, the stuff at TakeOver Blackpool, this was an amazing match. They, they've had some really, really good wrestling in the last year, and this being among them. Um, this definitely deserves to be higher, though. Coming in at number 16 from the Extreme Rules pay-per-view again. The Extreme Rules pay-per-view had a lot of big matches, I guess. Uh, the Triple Threat SmackDown Tag Team title match between Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan, Heavy Machinery, and The New Day. Um, they wrote, This epic Extreme Rules showdown was a department store match. Its superstars fit all shapes and sizes. Uh, from Xavier Woods up to Eric Rowan, with a hefty serving, a blue-collar solid sandwiched in between, there are not many superstar variations a match could offer. The Planet's champions were out to save the world, but the New Day and Heavy Machinery were set on throwing their own summer party. In the match's defining moment, Biggie absorbed Daniel Bryan's repeated yes kicks and continued moving forward as if it raptured by the religious experience, um, as if as if raptured by the religious experience. The ensuing Midnight Hour helped Biggie and Xavier Woods recapture the SmackDown Tag Team titles, and with Kofi Kingston holding the WWE Championship, all three members were doning Championship Gold Bay Bay. Uh, or no, Bay B, I'm sorry. Bay B, like Kofi Kingston would say. My bad. Yeah, a very good match. I don't know if I would put it number 16, um, but it was a very fun match, and the New Day did emerge victorious as the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. I would have put the titles on Heavy Machinery here personally, but they wanted all members of the New Day to hold gold, which I get. You know, it was it was a nice little moment. I would have had Heavy Machinery win, but I thought this was a fun match, though. Number 15, Ricochet and Johnny Gargano for the NXT North American Championship from NXT TakeOver Phoenix. Amazing match here. They wrote, Say what you will about Johnny Gargano for briefly turning his back on the NXT Universe and enabling Tommaso Ciampa to gradually beckon him to the dark side, but Johnny Wrestling's controversial decision guided him to his first singles championship. With the NXT North American title still in its infancy, Gargano and Ricochet immediately established it as a prestigious prize, one worth the tremendous physical punishment and mental anguish that these two superstars forced one another to endure. Um, in the match's post most poignant moment, shortly after the opening bell, Ricochet offered a handshake and asked the challenger, which Johnny Gargano am I going to get? He left with a cross to the jaw. Or he got a left cross to the jaw from Gargano. And if that didn't confirm that Gargano was indeed a changed man, um, the future champion erased all doubt by exposing the ringside floor and driving Ricochet headfirst into the concrete with a stomach-churning suplex. It was a foul tactic that was pivotal to Gargano's title win and one that he would not have dreamed of employing just a month or two prior. But hey, the man gets results. Yeah, this was another match of the year candidate by far. Again, I probably would have put this higher definitely in the top 10. I think a lot of people forget how great this match was because it happened so soon in the year. It happened literally within the first month of 2019 to take over Phoenix. Not only did Gargano win his first singles championship, but it was just an amazing match. This was a dream match by NXT standards. They went in there and fucking delivered. This was great, great shit. 
Number 14, the Men's Survivor Series match from the Survivor Series pay-per-view. 30 minutes of bell-to-bell chaos. Uh, that is what this was. If you're a fan of traditional Survivor Series matches, what more could you possibly ask of the 15 superstars who competed in this demolition derby? Uneasy alliances? Check out Roman Reigns and King Corbin trying to get along. Unforgettable first-time encounters? Just feel the energy of the Chicago faithful when Randy Orton and Tommaso Ciampa squared up, as well as when Braun Strowman and Walter engaged in a collision of runaway locomotives. Matt Bay's technical grappling, Matt Riddle and Shorty G have you covered. Physics uh, defying aerial assaults, ricochet and hometown hero Mustafa Ali soared fearlessly through the Chicago skies. An incredible breakout performance, Keith Lee whipped the WWE Universe into a frenzy with his mind-bending mesh of speed and strength in his first WWE pay-per-view appearance. This bout, perhaps more than any other on this top 25 list, truly had it all. Yeah, this was a great match. A lot of questionable booking decisions, like when Walter got bumped in the first five minutes was kind of bullshit. Um, Kevin Owens, same thing. But the final, like, two-thirds of this match were fucking wild. This was a great match. And SmackDown won with uh, Roman Reigns pinning Lee to win it. Lee really got over here. This was quite the turning point for Lee's career in um, surviving until the very end with Roman Reigns before getting eliminated. But yeah, I thought this match was great, 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 great stuff. Very happy it's on the list of the number 14. And it was really a breakout performance for not just, you know, uh, Keith Lee, but the entire NXT team. Matt Riddle eliminated Randy Orton. Walter got to go in there for a little bit before getting eliminated. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa squared out, squared up with Randy Orton. That was kind of cool. I think Ciampa got eliminated by who? Seth Rollins. They kind of got to square it up a little bit, face off for a bit. And who else was on the team? It was Ciampa, Walter, Riddle, <coughs> Riddle Lee, and uh, who was the other person? I forgot. There, there was one more person on their team. Ricochet? No, he was Raw. Um, I don't remember. But overall, this was an amazing match. Number 13, Daniel Bryan versus Kevin Owens versus Mustafa Ali in a triple threat match for the WWE Championship from the Fastlane pay-per-view. Kofi Kingston's run to the WWE title is full of memorable matches. Here is one that actually did not include him. In a WWE title match of Fastlane that was turned into a triple threat, Mr. McMahon tapped Mustafa Ali, um, who had seemed primed for a Kofi Kingston-like run before injury struck, would get the opportunity. The WWE Universe continued to clamor for Kofi, but Ali got them into his corner soon enough, throwing his heart, body, and soul into the action. The result was an absolute free-for-all between Ali, the new Daniel Bryan, who was determined as reigning champion to prove that the additional competitor did not belong, and the recently returning Kevin Owens, who seemed to take out, or seemed out to make Ali wish he never entered the ring to begin with. Even though Ali battled with, his, with the heart of a champion and left the WWE Universe awestruck, he ultimately found himself taken out by an earth-shattering running knee that earned the planet champion or that earned the planet's champion the victory. A star was born all the same. Yeah, this is one of those matches that was quickly forgotten about for whatever reason. Um, these guys had an amazing match. That fast lane pay-per-view, that fast lane pay-per-view rather, really wasn't much, you know, anything out of the ordinary. It wasn't anything special. But I thought this was easily a match, the, the match of the night in a match that does not get as much credit as it deserves. The whole Kofi story and the road to WrestleMania was great and all, um, but this match deserves more love. They they really, I thought, went in there and had a great match. Ali just, you know, showed that I thought that he belonged. 
Um, Kevin Owens kind of fell out of place here because he was supposed to get the match with Brian. They added Denali at the last minute, which was kind of confusing, but it turned out to be a great match with the involvement of Ali, so I'm glad they added him. Number 12, Adam Cole and Pete Dunne for the NXT Championship, also from Survivor Series. Considering they were just one night removed from NXT TakeOver War Games, the fact that NXT Champion Adam Cole and Pete Dunne could even compete in this match was nothing short of remarkable. But all doubts about the conditions of both men were removed the moment the bell rang to begin this battle for the NXT Championship. You could feel the pain of every cringeworthy mangling of Cole's fingers and the shock after each kickout the superstars managed to muster off moves like the last shot and bitter end. In the end, Cole's devastating Panama Sunrise to Dunn on the apron dropped jaws all over Allstate Arena, making believers out of everyone in attendance and watching at home that the superiority of NXT on that night was undisputed. Um, yeah, these two stole the show at Survivor Series, hands down. As good as that men's Survivor Series match was, these guys stole the show. And the cool thing is that, like it said here in the paragraph, Dunn and Cole came completely out of nowhere. They added the match to the Survivor Series card one night beforehand at the TakeOver event when Dunn became the number one contender to the title. So it was a very last-minute match, no story told, but they went in there and fucking killed it. I thought it would be a good match by WWE standards. You know, it's it's the main roster. They like to kind of water things down a bit. But no, this was like a TakeOver-level-worthy match. And Dunn looked really, really good in defeat. So I'm really happy this happened in front of the Chicago crowd at Survivor Series. They appreciated the action. They were hot for every minute of it. And uh, they proved that NXT belonged on the main stage, such as Survivor Series. Now, they can't do this stuff all the time just because they would show up the main roster every fucking time if they're allowed to have the matches they're capable of in NXT. But still, I thought this was uh, just amazing stuff and hopefully paves the way for NXT being involved on the um, big four pay-per-view cards Moving forward, at number 11, Rey Mysterio versus Andrade in a two out of three falls match from the January 22nd episode of SmackDown. With Zelina Vega barred from ringside, Rey Mysterio's two out of three falls match against Andrade on SmackDown became a straight up incredible battle. Both superstars impressed the WWE Universe from the start, with Andrade hitting a powerbomb off the top rope to win the first fall, and Mysterio firing back with a flipping pile driver to tie it up. But just when Mysterio looked to be closing things down with the 619, Samoa Joe showed up the blindside of the ultimate underdog and hit him with a powerbomb onto the apron. The unrelenting Samoan submission machine went on to hurl Andrade into the ring post and lock right into the Kohina clutch, all in an effort to build momentum towards the upcoming men's Royal Rumble match. A shocking twist in what was set up to be the final chapter of a rivalry that still remains tantalizing unfinished. Uh, between Mysterio and Andrade. This was a re- yeah another really, really good match here. I remember when the feud first started at the onset of 2019, and Andrade actually beat Mysterio, um, I believe, clean, maybe with help of um, Zelina Vega, but still, the point still stands. Uh, Andrade and Mysterio have amazing chemistry. This was a feud we all wanted to see for the longest time, even well before Mysterio came back to WWE. Now that we're getting it, they're still proving, even to this day, this was a year ago when Andrade just actually beat Mysterio for the United States Championship at a house show like last week. So they're still having great matches um, to this day. They're going to have another match for that star-spangled prize next week um, on the first Raw of 2020. Yeah, the only thing I would I would probably, that, that I have against this match that would prevent it from being higher, ranked higher on the list, is the fact that it did end in a no contest due to interference from Samoa Joe. But overall, though, it was a great match. 
Um, I just wish it had a proper conclusion that it happened at WrestleMania too. I mean, Joe and Mysterio, they did their thing, and I'm glad Joe got a big WrestleMania moment and him beating Mysterio in a matter of a minute. But it would have been nice if they extended this thing through WrestleMania, not cut it short on the road to WrestleMania. But at least we're getting it now over the United States Championship, if nothing else. Um, and number 10, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins for the Universal Championship match, or the NA Universal Championship match from SummerSlam. They wrote, over the past few months, Seth Rollins has had a complicated relationship with our fans, but nearly every single WWE Universe member was firmly on the side of the Beast Slayer at SummerSlam, watching with bated breath in this edge-of-your-seat title fight with Brock Lesnar that was showered in chance of This Is Awesome less than three minutes into the action. Rollins, who entered the match with, a bandage wi- with bandage ribs thanks to a series of grisly attacks from Lesnar, employed a stick-and-move strategy to mostly avoid Lesnar's deadly suplexes and threw caution into the wind by driving the Conqueror through the announce table with a breathtaking frog splash. The post-match image of a war-torn Seth Rollins pounding the mat in jubilation, shaking with emotion, clutching his newly won Universal title and shedding his tears after giving all his mind and body and soul is a sight the WWE Universe should have never forgotten. That they ultimately did doesn't dim its light. Yeah, again, you know, people poop on Seth Rollins for the 2019 that he had and how he kind of turned his back on the fans, obviously, in storyline towards the end there, turning heel and whatnot. But the guy had some really good matches in 2019, a lot more than people probably realize, including this one. Uh, Maybe not his best match from the year, and there's another match I would include on here before that one. But this was awesome. This was a great match. Easily the best Brock Lesnar match of 2019, who also had a pretty good year in the ring, but, you know, between matches with Finn Balor and Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins and a few others. Um, I thought this was exactly what it needed to be. Uh, I, the match I was hoping for from WrestleMania that we didn't get and instead got a squash from. Uh, but this was uh, the type of match I really wanted to see from these two, dating back to 2015. And we finally got it at SummerSlam, with the right result, too, with Rollins regaining the Universal Championship. Number nine, Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch in a winner-take-all triple threat match from WrestleMania 35. You had to know this was going to make the list. I mean, come on. I'm not a big fan of it being a number nine because it really wasn't that good of a match, but I can see why they would put it at number nine because it's it's it was the main event of WrestleMania, the first ever female uh, main event of Mania, but whatever. They wrote, making history in WWE is a unique beast. The magnitude of what's about to be created is ever-present in the lead-up to the moment. However, once you arrive, dust off your boots and step through the ropes, more often than not, all the pyro and and, um, bombast go out the window, and instincts take over like they always do. Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, and Ronda Rousey's instincts were all on overdrive at WrestleMania 35, as the three superstars did not flinch in the face of being the first women to ever main event the show of shows. Instead, all three strapped in, focusing their attention on walking out of MetLife Stadium as both the Raw and SmackDown women's champion in what turned out to be a physical, gritty affair. Lynch shattered Flair and Rousey's onslaughts and the final glass ceiling for the women's division in one fell swoop, handing Ronda, Hot Ronda the first controversial defeat of her WWE career, morphing the man into Becky Two Belts in the shadow of New York City on the grandest stage in the mall, the fist reading, uh, the, the, the rest rather, fittingly, is history. Again, a match I would not put in the top 10. I can see why it is in the top 10, but in the ring, it just wasn't that good of a match. And yeah, Becky beat Ronda, but the, the finish looked botched. If it was indeed botched, I'm not sure. But uh, still, I thought this was uh, 
kind of disappointing, to be honest with you. Um, it, it was a very good match, don't get me wrong. It just was not what it could have been. Number eight, the men's Elimination Chamber match from the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. As Kofi Kingston drew nearer and nearer to his exalted WWE Championship victory, he made a cottage industry um, out of coming... Cottage? Cottage, I guess. Cottage industry. I've never heard that before. Out of coming up just slightly short of the big one, the closest and the most thrilling he got was this absolute banger of Elimination Chamber match where Kofi Kingston zeroed in on then-champion Daniel Bryan with such maniacal fever... It's hard to remember that the match both laid the groundwork for possibly five other rivalries in the process. Randy Orton eliminates AJ Styles to set up a a WrestleMania match, and Kofi ousts Orton to foreshadow a SummerSlam one, and featured a delightful smattering of Samoa Joe's cruelty and what could be best described as Jeff Hardy doing Jeff Hardy things. Even with all that, the lasting image of this one is justifiably Kofi vaulting to the top of a chamber, Pod to loom over to loom over a cowering Brian. The defining sequence is the closing moments that directly tease what would come to pass just two months later. That Kofi lost um, was somewhat deflating. I guess that Kofi lost. I guess is probably what they meant to say. <clears throat> that Kofi lost was somewhat deflating, but no less thrilling. Um, you could sense his moment was coming. In the meantime, the money's in the chase, and this one was a license to print. Uh, yeah, again, another really, really great match. Um, I thought they uh, went out there and had another really good chamber. One of my favorite chambers in recent years. Better than the women's one for sure. And and on a pay-per-view that really wasn't that good, the two chamber matches definitely delivered. And Brian emerging victorious was the right result. People were pissed that Kofi didn't win. But they just saved the moment for when it mattered most at WrestleMania. So I'm glad they did that. Number seven, Pete Dunne versus Walter for the WWE United Kingdom Championship. Excuse me. <coughs> from uh, TakeOver New York. At the risk of painting with a broad brush, the magic of sports entertainment is getting you to believe the impossible might just be possible. Can a weary British limb breaker defeat a guy who's a a head taller than him and has an aptitude for chopping off the upper layer of his opponent's skin? Of course he can, but this title match between Pete Dunne and Walter goes on just long enough, and Dunne holds on just hard enough through uh, through each blistering chop from Durring General, um, that you think he could possibly extend his historic reign as WWE United Kingdom champion. The inevitable, of course, comes, but Dunn's effort instills this match with the kind of breathless uh, suspense that is to find NXT's most enduring moments. If this had happened two days later, we'd be calling it one of the greatest WrestleMania matches ever. As it is, it's not far off. Hogan versus Andre with the extra footage and alternate ending restored. Not exactly sure what that last moment means there, because this was not Hogan versus Andre at all. It was much better than that. But um, yeah, this was another great match. I thought Walter versus Bate was better, and it's probably ranked up there again for the history-making moment of Walter becoming champion and ending Dunn's reign. So I I, I get it. Um, but you know, it's, again, top ten is cool. Top ten is cool. This was a great show, and and just as good of a match. This was an amazing match. Number six, men's Money in the Bank ladder match from Money in the Bank. What is wrong with these guys? Michael Cole exclaimed that very question during the match as a career-changing opportunity prompted these competitors to test the limits of the human body. The athleticism of, an, of Andrade, Ricochet, Finn Balor, and Mustafa Ali was on full display during and until a pre-King Baron Corbin or Drew McIntyre used ladders and Spanish announce tables to stop the high-flying antics. At the end of the day, the adage, work smarter, not harder, or not harder, rather, uh, proved to be the winning mantra. 
as the exhausted competitors were strewn across the floor. Brock Lesnar entered late and grabbed the coveted briefcase. There were many who felt robbed by the Beast Incarnate's opportunism, opportunism, uh, but it gifted us a boombox Brock. So we're all winners in the end. Yeah, that was that, that was definitely the best part of uh, the whole Money in the Bank gimmick with Brock was the boombox Brock thing. The match was amazing. I, again, another match I don't think gets the credit it deserves for being as good as it was. Um, this was fucking great shit. Um, I thought they went in there and really killed themselves, and Brock winning was, I thought, just the cherry on top. I wasn't thrilled that he won, but it was definitely shocking, and you cannot argue on me. You, you cannot argue me on that. Uh, no one saw this one coming. Not a fucking soul. This was great. And the match itself was just just as good, if not better. Very happy this made it in the top 10. Number 5, Ronda Rousey versus Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship from the Royal Rumble. They wrote, The world of WWE moves incredibly fast. When a match goes down in January at all times, it at, at times can lose its place in the conscience of the WWE Universe by year's end. That's absolutely true. So I'm here with the friendly reminder that Ronda Rousey versus Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship at the Royal Rumble 2019 was absolute perfection. Banks challenged Rousey in arguably uh, the most anticipated match of Hot Ronda's WWE career at the 32nd annual Royal Rumble event. And turns out when you pit two ultra-driven superstars, ultra-driven superstars, both hyper-obsessed with proving they're the best sports entertainer breathing once again uh, against one another, an absolute classic emerges. Rousey was appropriately decked out like the white Power Ranger because what resulted was her and Banks uh, pushing each other to their max like they were Tommy and Jason at the Angel Grove Youth Center in 93. Combat turned into martial art with Hot Ronda and Sasha going back and forth, blending different styles into one ultimate melting pot of an unreal fight. Uh, Rousey would prevail, snagging the first pinfall victory of her WWE career, giving the WWE Universe in attendance at Chase Field the in Phoenix a first-ever moment to lay his eyes on, to lay eyes on in the perfect wrestling match. Yeah, I thought the match was great. I don't know if it's number five on my countdown, personally. I thought this was a bit overrated, but the match was great. Definitely Ronda's best match of the year, which isn't saying much because she left three months later after WrestleMania. But still, I thought this was a great match, and it was really cool to see her and Sasha before she left after WrestleMania. And Sasha, again, got to prove how good she actually is. Number four, Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles for the Universal Championship from Money in the Bank. Very happy this ranked up at number uh, uh, number four here. Slaying the Beast at WrestleMania brought adulation for Seth Rollins, but it also brought him a horde of new challengers, including the Phenomenal One, light years removed from their only previous meeting 13 years earlier in a Muscatine, Iowa gym. Their similar yet divergent paths brought them together for a dream showdown in the WWE ring for the first time ever. Mirroring each other's squared circle mastery, uh, both were forced to dig deep into their repertoires to try for an upper hand, highlighted by an inverted version of Rollins' patented superplex Falcon Arrow combination and, and Styles' exquisite counter of the stomp into the Styles Clash, which was fucking awesome. The architect ultimately outlasted his adversary, but the competitive respect earned from each other was palpable, and the WWE Universe took notice, showering them with This Is Awesome chants throughout. Again, another match I'm very happy made the list. Um, it definitely deserves to be this high. I was there for this one, so again, I'm probably biased. But because Rollins was so hated in 2019, people tend to forget that um, he had some really, really great matches um, with AJ Styles. When I say matches, I mean match. That he had that really, really good match with AJ Styles. 
back in Money in the Bank. And they had a couple matches a few, you know, months later on Raw and whatnot, but this was definitely the best of the bunch. They were both baby faces at the time. The crowd was hot for it. Everyone figured Rollins would win, but Styles looked great in defeat. And the build sucked, but the match was uh, absolutely amazing. And the only issue with it was that it was not the main event, which they closed out with the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. But this was uh, this was a really good fucking match here. Uh, number three, oof, I would I would put this in number one, but I'm you know whatever. I'll get to number one and one and two in a second. Number three, Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole in a two out of three falls match for the NXT Championship from Takeover New York. They wrote Tommaso Ciampa's unfortunate injury left NXT temporarily without a champion, but also set up one of the more unforgettable trilogies in sports entertainment history. It all started with this with this bout during WrestleMania weekend, with neither superstar leaving a stone unturned while composing a sympathy, uh, symp- uh, symphony. Excuse me, I'm a fucking fumbling over my words here. That I guess comes with the territory when you're sick. Of gasps and sighs from the Barclays Center crowd. Johnny Gargano would have to overcome not only Adam Cole, but also the rest of the Undisputed Era, who couldn't help but get involved in the third fall on the Panama City Playboy's behalf. Moments after kicking out of two super kicks in the last shot for one of 2019's most unbelievable near falls, Johnny Wrestling locked on the Gargano escape to finally conclude this arduous climb to the top of the NXT mountaintop. Johnny Gargano had been the man who was unable to win the big one until he wasn't, upending the narrative in spectacular fashion. This is my match of the year. It is. I mean, I, I mean, I'm glad it's in the top three, obviously, but to me, it's the match of the year. There's, there's no doubt. It's the best match in NXT history, and better than any other match I saw this year. Like that's, to me, I thought that was. It's not a fact, but you know, at least it should be number two. Instead, number two, in their opinion, is Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. Uh, interesting from the Hell in a Cell pay per view inside Hell in a Cell for the Raw Women's Championship. You know, I could see this being the be- the best main roster match of the year. I, it's kind of hard to argue against that. Um, but yeah, this was a, a very good match as well. They wrote, let me scroll down here. Sometimes you just get a feeling, an unequivocal, unwavering feeling that you just watch something so transcendently special and so uniquely singular that it will be talked about long after any of us are still around to be yapping about sports entertainment. Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks inside Hell in the Cell this year gave me that feeling, y'all. It also made me come alive which almost seems coldly ironic to say out loud when it pertains to two superstars putting each other and themselves through literal hell for the rights to pride and the honor of being called the champion. Lynch, as she did throughout the, her, uh, the entire calendar year, would find a way to prevail, temporarily halting Banks' return to the championship circle. And although nothing is more important than winning, in this one specific instance, who walked out as Raw Women's Champion is almost secondary to the fact that these two superstars scratched that these two warriors walked out at all after one of the most brutal, innovative, and flat-out best matches in WWE history. Holy shit, best match in WWE history? Calm down, dude. Um, great match. I can see an argument being made for this being the best main roster match of the year because it was an awesome match. The show sucked, but this match was awesome. Um, and definitely a return to form for Sasha. Becky's best match, definitely since last year when she faced Charlotte Evolution. Uh, this was tremendous stuff. Best match ever? Calm down. No, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. First match, though, on their list, number one, their top match of 2019, which I probably should have expected. I completely forgot about this. Well, when I got to number three of Gargano and Cole, but they are right on the money with this. Is the best main roster match of the year. Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship, as voted on, as, you know, selected by WWE.com from WrestleMania 35. 
They wrote, Was this a match or a moment? I say both. Let us agree that while the sight of Kofi Kingston finally, finally clutching the WWE Championship, he probably should have won at least, oh, five WrestleManias ago, is the type of WrestleMania moment that will justly be a staple of promo video packages from now on until the sun burns out and the significance of this match goes beyond a highlight reel. Um, Let us agree that although this saga was certainly wrestling at its finest, Dragon's Wink and Dragon Slayers, the sight of the Ghanaian-born Kingston hosting the, or hoisting rather, the WWE Championship in the shadow of New York City carries a significance that goes beyond a 20 by 20 win, uh, 20 by 20 ring. On a single wrestling note, let us also agree that Daniel Bryan has rarely been better than he was as a sneering, gnarled ghost of underdog future, and that's saying a lot. Let us agree that there will be people who disagree with that statement, and that's fine. But it's worth going back to watch the tape if you were such a viewer uh, to see if you can't be persuaded otherwise. It wasn't a dry eye in the house, or at home, or in Ghana, or in dive bars where noted tough guys MVP Shad or MVP and Shad Gaspard went viral as they choked back tears watching someone who looked like them breathe the same rarefied air as the greatest of all time. Even if you didn't or don't understand the tears, let us at least agree that this moment happened, that it verbated, that it mattered in a way that a wrestling match almost never does. If there's one thing we won't agree to do in this entry, it's dwell on or even consider the almost transactional manner, uh, transactional, I don't know how you pronounce that word, in which the reign ended. Business is business at the end of the day, but this transcended the boardroom transcended the ring, transcends the turning of the machine that eventually declares that all things must end. As far as we're concerned, Kofi's still up there on Big E and Xavier Wood's shoulders, his family in his arms, and the world chanting his name, Kofi Mania, lives and lives forever. Hallelujah. Amen. I can see what they're getting at with this being the number one match. Honestly, I can't really disagree. I still say it's Cole and Gargano. That's my match of 2019, but this still was an amazing match. The payoff was perfect. It was everything it needed to be and so much more. One of the best WrestleMania matches in years and years and years. Um, should it have been the main event? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the women main event thing, I mean, that probably deserved to be the main event more just because it was, it, it, if there was, if it wasn't going to be the main event this year or rather in 2019, it was never going to be the main event probably, or at least not anytime soon. But this was the main event by all accounts, really, and being the best match on that show. And uh, people got what they wanted. The match itself was great. The suspense was at an all-time high. The post-match stuff was great. I'm, I'm glad they touched upon the loss of the championship of Kofi to Brian, or rather to Brock in October. Um, they didn't really go into detail, obviously. But again, the fact that he lost the championship in the fashion that he did does not take away from the fact that he had a great run as champion. And the title in itself is up there. It's one of the greatest of all time. So I got to agree with them as the match of the year. I still say again, Cole and Gargano is my match of 2019 for WWE, including NXT. But I'm not going to argue with anyone that says that Kofi and Bryan, in more ways than one, was the match of the year for the company. So, WWE.com, you got this one right here. Not going to argue with you. Again, I was a bit skeptical when you put Gargano and Cole at number three. I'd probably put it ahead of uh, Sasha and Becky. Um, I'd probably put it ahead of that. But still, I thought the list overall was really well done. Uh, definitely, definitely check it out right now on WWE.com. Their top 25 matches of 2019. Real quickly before we end this episode and ride off into the sunset, I mentioned I was going to talk about Raw and Dynamite and stuff like that. 
I did not expect the WWE.com listing to go as long as it did, and I do got to get going. I'm also not feeling too great. But real quick from Raw, overall, I thought it was a good show. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought the wedding was abysmal. Um, it was an absolute atrocious segment. Terrible TV. I don't care what anyone says. I was there. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen live. People wanted to leave. Oh, the crowd ate it up. No, they fucking didn't. People were saying the what chant. They were pooping all over it. The whole, oh, why he was her first girlfriend. I was his first boyfriend. Blah, 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 blah. All that other shit. Liv Morgan coming back. It was a fucking disaster. It was terrible. But I can't say it was a bad show. Overall, I thought they did a pretty good job of putting together one good final show of the year. Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy had a great match. Um, Kevin Owens and Joe and Rollins and AOP kicked off the show on a high note. That first like 45 minutes of the show was great. Um, the Orton swerve I thought was really well done. Charlotte and Natalia bored me to tears. Who gives a fuck? The Rowan squash. Who gives a fuck? Um, the McIntyre stuff was fine. Street Profits and OC was good. And then uh, Andrade and Ricochet was good, solid. Not what it could have been, but it was fine. But the, the main event segment with the wedding shit was just terrible. It was an all-new level of bad, even for WWE. I, I don't hate weddings and wrestling. It's just that this one was so terribly done, I can't possibly defend it. And I was there, again, I sat there for 20 minutes watching this thing live as it unfolded, thinking to myself, what the fuck did I just watch? What, what, what's going on right now? It's one of those things I would watch with a non-wrestling fan and be embarrassed to be a wrestling fan of, you know, the, the, while watching it, you know? That's how bad this was. But overall, I thought it was one real final solid show for 2019 from WWE with Raw. Dynamite was even better. I thought Dynamite last night was a really, really good show. Um, they had a great opening match between Cody and Darby Allen in the same stage at the uh, Daily Place, Daly Place, whatever it's called, in Jacksonville, where they had their Fighter Fest match six, seven months ago. Um, Cody won this time decisively. Really, really good opening match. The four women's match was also great between Rio, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Akuro Shida. Um, Rio won, and only to be attacked by Nyla Rose afterward. She will face um, Chris Statlander next week uh, for her AEW Women's Championship. John Moxley and Trent was a very good match. Probably a little longer than it needed to be, considering Trent isn't on the level of John Moxley, but I thought it was still good. Trent has beaten Pentagon Jr. before, so... It's not like it was Orange Cassidy in there going 20 minutes with John Moxley. That would be ridiculous, but I thought this was good. Sammy Guevara versus Dustin Rhodes. Uh, this, I thought, was a good match. They furthered the feud between Dustin Rhodes and Jake Hager effectively. Sammy Guevara is just a national treasure. The guy's hilarious, and I'm glad he picked up his first major win. I think on Dynamite um, so far. I'm not sure if he's won on Dynamite prior to this point, but I'm glad he won here. MJF's promo addressing Cody and the stipulations for their upcoming match at Revolution. Was also really, really good. He's got to first have a steel cage match with Wardlow on Dynamite before then. He's got to be whipped by MJF 10 times with his leather belt. Um, a, lot of, a lot of shit that Cody has to go through before he can get his hands on MJF at the pay-per-view. Which also include him not getting his hands on MJF himself before the pay-per-view um, at, at Revolution in Chicago next month. But still, I thought this was uh, very well done. I'm looking forward to MJF and Cody at the pay-per-view. And finally, we had the Elite versus Pac and the Lucha Bros in the main event, which was really, really good. Um, the exact type of match I was hoping for from these six guys. Went in there, all action, fucking killed. The Elite went over, back on track. Teasing tension with Adam Page afterward. Very looking, very much looking forward to seeing how that plays out and see where that uh, angle is headed. But uh, yeah, overall, a really good episode of Dynamite and definitely one of their overall stronger shows of, uh, I mean, I was going to say of the year. Obviously, the year just started, but... 
since Dynamite started a few months ago. I thought this was a really, really good show. So strong effort from AEW here. And uh, the NXT Year End Awards, um, real quickly, Tag Team of the Year was Undisputed Era, Male Competitor of the Year, Adam Cole, Female Competitor of the Year, Sheena Baszler, NXT Rivalry of the Year, Gianni Gargano, Future Star of the Year, Dakota Kai, Taker of the Year, of the year Takeover War Games, Breakout Star of the Year, Keith Lee, um, Match of the Year, Gargano and Cole in the 2 out of 3 Falls match for the NXT Championship from TakeOver New York, and Overall Competitor of the Year was Adam Cole. The only one I disagree on um, is the TakeOver of the Year. I would have given that to TakeOver New York, hands down. War Games was great, don't get me wrong, but TakeOver New York was easily, not just the TakeOver of the Year, the best TakeOver they've ever done, period. But anyway, um, Breakout Star of the Year, I also would have given to Angel Garza, because Keith Lee was already around, he was already doing stuff, he only really broke out in the last like month or two. Angel Garza made a, made a splash as soon as he arrived in NXT over the summer as part of the NXT Breakout Tournament, um, and ended up becoming the NXT Cruiserweight Champion to close out 2019, so I would have given him that award as well for the Breakout Star of the Year. But they didn't exactly get it wrong with uh, Keith Lee, that's not a bad choice either. But yeah, that was NXT on Wednesday. We will be back to normal next week with the Wednesday Night Wars on January 9th. Um, if I'm flying solo, I will be breaking on those two shows. If not, hopefully we can have Jamie back on the show at some point in the future to um, do the top nine or, or top ten whatever um, pay-per-view themes of the 2010s from WWE. And that's going to do it, guys, for me. Graham G.S. Matthews right here on WrestleRant Radio. Check out new episodes every single Thursday on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Podbean, um, iTunes, obviously, NextDayWrestling.net. We're all over the place, baby. So subscribe today for new episodes every single Thursday. And we'll be back next week breaking down the Wednesday Night Wars and everything else that goes down, everything else going on in the world of wrestling in WWE and beyond. Until then, guys, have a great rest of the weekend, week, weekend, whatever. Um, enjoy your 2020. Hope it goes just as well as 2019 did, if not better. Have a great one, guys. Happy New Year again, and I'll catch your ass down the road.